I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather here together to examine the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by my lovely bride. Uh, We've been married for coming up on nine years, and she's coming into the studio today to talk with us about love and about marriage. Uh, And so we want to get as much done as we can before she gets here. We want to look busy, right? Uh, That's what you do before your wife comes home. You look busy. Uh, That's what we're going to do before she comes into the studio. So we're going to spend uh, this first segment, as we always do, looking through Scripture and uh, looking through a document of the church. We look through Scripture each week and in the document of the church to explore the foundations of our faith. And then in the second and third segment, we take some topic and we look at how our faith impacts uh, our daily lives. So starting off, let's go ahead and open our time together in prayer. Christ has made known to us the life that lasts forever. With faith and joy, let us cry out to him, saying, Lord, may your resurrection bring us the riches of your grace. Eternal shepherd, look on your flock as it rises from sleep. Feed us with the word of life and the bread from heaven. Lord, may your resurrection bring us the riches of your grace. Keep us safe from wolf and hireling. Make us faithful in listening to your voice. Lord, may your resurrection bring us the riches of your grace. You are present to all who preach your gospel and give power to their words. Make us today preachers of your resurrection by our holiness of life. Lord, may your resurrection bring us the riches of your grace. Be our great joy that no one can take away from us, so that we may reject sin with its sadness and reach out to eternal life. Lord, may your resurrection bring us the riches of your grace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, teach us to know you better by doing good to others. Help us to grow in your love and come to understand the eternal mystery of Christ's death and resurrection. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading, of course, this reading comes from the sixth Saturday of Easter. We're starting tomorrow, entering into the last week of Easter, and then the following Sunday will be Pentecost. So we're, we're coming to the end of our celebratory season, uh, and then we'll enter into ordinary time. So today's reading comes from Saturday, the sixth week of Easter, and the first reading is Acts chapter 18, where we read this. After staying in Antioch some time, Paul left and traveled in orderly sequence through the Galatian country and Phrygia, bringing strength to all the disciples. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent speaker, arrived in Ephesus. He was an authority on the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and with ardent spirit spoke and taught accurately about Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside 
and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. After his arrival, he gave great assistance to those who had come to believe through grace. He vigorously refuted the Jews in public, establishing from Scripture that the Christ is Jesus. That reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 18. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 47. God is King of all the earth. All you peoples, clap your hands, shout to God with cries of gladness, for the Lord, the Most High, the Awesome, is great King over all the earth. God is King of all the earth. For King of all the earth is God, sing hymns of praise. God reigns over the nations, God sits upon his holy throne. God is King of all the earth. The princes of the peoples are gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham, for gods are the guardians of the earth. He is supreme. God is the King of all the earth. Today's Gospel comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, amen, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I have told you this in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you clearly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not tell you that I will ask the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have come to believe that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to my Father. That gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Today's reading from a document of the church we're going to pull from Gaudium et Spes. That's a document of the Second Vatican Council. And there's a beautiful passage in here, starting in paragraph number 48, talking about marriage. So let's read that together now. The intimate partnership of married life and love has been established by the Creator and qualified by His laws and is rooted in the conjugal covenant of irrevocable personal consent. Hence, by that human act whereby spouses mutually bestow and accept each other, a relationship arises, which by divine will and in the eyes of society too is a lasting one. For the good of the spouses and their offsprings, as well as of society, the existence of the sacred bond no longer depends on human decisions alone. For God himself is the author of matrimony, endowed as it is with various benefits and purposes. All of these have a very decisive bearing on the continuation of the human race, on the personal development and eternal destiny of the individual members of a family, and on the dignity stability, peace, and prosperity of the family itself and of human society as a whole. By their very nature, the institution of matrimony itself and conjugal love are ordained for the procreation and education of children and find in them their ultimate crown. Thus, man and woman, who by compact of conjugal love are no longer two but one flesh, render mutual help and service to each other through an intimate union of their persons and of their actions. Through this union, they experience the meaning of their oneness 
and attain to it with a growing perfection day by day. As a mutual gift of two persons, this intimate union and the good of the children impose total fidelity on the spouses and argue for an unbreakable oneness between them. Christ the Lord abundantly blessed this multifaceted love, welling up as it does from the fountain of divine love and structured as it is on the model of His union with His church. For as God of old made Himself present to His people, through a covenant of love and fidelity. So now the Savior of men and the spouse of the church comes into the lives of married Christians through the sacrament of matrimony. He abides with them thereafter, so that just as he loved the church and handed himself over on her behalf, the spouses may love each other with perpetual fidelity through mutual self-bestowal. Authentic married love is caught up into divine love, and is governed and enriched by Christ's redeeming power and the saving activity of the church, so that this love may lead the spouses to God with powerful effect, and may aid and strengthen them in sublime office of being father and mother. For this reason, Christian spouses have a special sacrament by which they are fortified and receive a kind of consecration in the duties and dignity of their state. By virtue of this sacrament, as spouses fulfill their conjugal and family obligation, they are penetrated with the Spirit of Christ, which suffuses their whole lives with faith, hope, and charity. Thus, they increasingly advance the perfection of their own personalities, as well as their mutual sanctification, and hence contribute jointly to the glory of God. That reading comes from Gaudium et Spes, Uh, paragraph 48, out of uh, the documents of the Second Vatican Council. So today we are talking about marriage. Uh, It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because, one, I'm married, uh, but also I am the director of marriage and family life for the Diocese of Tulsa. And so marriage is something that I enjoy talking about. I run the pre-canis here, so all of our engaged couples come through uh, a 14-hour program that we run, uh, helping them prepare for marriage. And there's so much that we could talk about, but we don't have 14 hours uh, to do that. We just have a little bit less than three quarters of an hour left, and so we're going to have to cram some stuff in. But uh, before we get to the topic of marriage, I want to jump back to that first reading that we had from from the book of Acts. And in there is something that maybe you haven't considered before. Of course, maybe it's obvious to you, but uh, maybe you haven't considered it before. It's something that I don't know that I considered before we read it together today. And we have Apollos. I've heard of Paul and Apollos, and I've uh, heard many different things about them and their relationship to one another and what they thought of one another. Uh, But here I noticed something admirable in the life of Apollos that I think we would do well to look at. So we see that uh, this Jew named Apollos was a native of Alexandria. In Egypt. He was an eloquent speaker and he arrived in Ephesus. So he was on missionary journeys just as Paul was. And it says he was an authority on the scriptures. He was well versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, which uh, at that time Christianity was often called the way. Uh, and with ardent spirit spoke and taught accurately about Jesus. So here we have a setup here. He, he is a uh, 
traveling. He is proclaiming the gospel of God, uh, and he's teaching accurately. These are things that are laudable. Uh, And then it says, although he only knew about the baptism of John, which is the baptism of repentance, as opposed to Christ's baptism, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And then we have these two people. They were companions of Paul, Priscilla and Aquila. And they heard him and they took him aside. And what stands out to me very strongly, very clearly about uh, Apollos here is that he was teachable. Here are two people in a, in a town, and he's in the mindset of going out and proclaiming the gospel of God, and they draw him aside, and he doesn't know them. He's just come into town, and he is the expert, it says, in the scriptures. He's an authority on the scriptures. But he hears what a, a Priscilla and Aquila say to him. He took, they took him aside. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then they, they sent him on. But here's someone who was open enough and humble enough that when someone came and said, well, you know, you're doing a great job. We love hearing what you're saying. You're saying so many things correctly. But let us tweak a couple of things for you. Well, you know, in our day and age, maybe you don't experience this, but I do. You know, uh, when I feel confident in a certain area and someone comes and, and corrects me on it, who I don't know as an expert, well, I'm my first inclination is not to humble myself and listen to them. But in the book of Acts, it looks as though that's exactly what Apollos did. And so it stands to us as encouragement, as an example of how we should handle uh, conflict, how we should handle correction. Uh, It's not something that any of us like, but it's something that's essential. And it's something that's really essential in marriage. Do we respond in humility to our spouse. Speaking of spouses, when we come back from the break, my wife will be on the show. We're going to be talking as we approach our ninth anniversary about love and marriage. Later in the show also, we'll be giving away a rosary here in the month of May, the month of Mary, as well as a book by St. Louis de Montfort, The Secret of the Rosary, courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam, and today is an exciting day. I have in studio my favorite person in the whole world. In fact, if I could do an interview with anyone every week, it would be this person. And luckily, in a manner of speaking, I do get to interview her every week. (laughs) Uh, So this in studio today is my beloved bride, of almost nine years, our anniversary is later this week, uh, Kristen Putnam. Kristen, thanks for coming into the studio with me today. Thank you, love. I'm glad to be here. Now, we have two anniversaries coming up. Not only do we have our wedding anniversary, but also our anniversary of coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. Of course, those are different days. Uh, We had May 20th, way back in 2006, was our wedding anniversary. And then uh, May 19th, 2011, uh, the two of us together 
came into, oh, no, no, May No, 21st. it wasn't. It was May 21st. That's right. May 19th was my last day uh, on staff at a Methodist church. Yep. And May 21st, we came into full communion uh, with the Catholic church three weeks after Easter, because I had to get my own congregation through uh, that the, their Easter celebration uh, before we came into full communion. So it's it's been a ride. Mm-hmm. You know, some people say that uh, that marriage is hard work and you have to really, um, you know, bite the bullet and, and kind of grit your teeth and bear it with this other person. And that the first year is always so hard. And, you know, we didn't really find that to be the case. Uh, that first year we had a lot of difficulty, but it wasn't with one another. Yeah. Marriage itself was wonderful. It was the circumstances around us that made that year difficult in its own way. What, you don't like to move across country four times in one year? <laughs> four cross country moves in one year was a lot. That was a lot. We That was, uh, and, and you know, since then we've been in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area for, uh, what, six years now, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It's kind, kind of amazing. I'm rather uh, happy with that. <laughs> Me too. All right. So today we wanted to talk to you about love and marriage uh, because we think that we've got a pretty good one and we really uh, do. We enjoy it. Uh, And I know that that's not always the case for everyone. So we thought we would uh, indulge ourselves a little bit and here as we approach our anniversary, reflect on our, our marriage, but then also give to you some of the things that we have so enjoyed. Now, our marriage has just been uh, delightful. Our, our dating years, not, not so much. Uh, we, we had a very protracted uh, period of dating and engagement. And if you were to ask her how long we dated before we got married, she would give you a different answer than I do. I was going to say, the actual one, I admitted that we were dating. At that point, it, it went pretty smooth. It was the, before that. That was the problem. But at least this time you said, when I admitted <laughs> that we were dating. Because we, we right. actually did date quite a bit before she admitted it. We did. So, But before we get too far into that story, I do want to tell you uh, a little bit about my own process towards discerning the vocation of marriage. Uh, I had great examples growing up. My parents had a very strong marriage. Uh, and uh, And yet, the picture that I got of marriage was that I was going to find someone out in the world who was exactly like me, but prettier, right? They were going to want to do the things that I wanted to do. They were going to have the same passions. They were going to work with me and because I wanted to be involved in ministry. They were going to work with me in ministry, and they were just going to be identical to me. And uh, and they weren't going to do anything that I didn't like. Uh, they weren't going to have hobbies that I wasn't fully invested in. And, and later, someone pointed out to me... Uh, that basically I wanted to date either myself or Jesus. And neither of those would really be a good option if you're seeking the vocation of marriage. Uh, and so I went through, you know, I, I had some some good catechesis in relationships from my parents and then from a college and career group that I went to later in life. Uh, but I was, I was seeking these other relationships, trying to find what didn't exist. And I remember the day, it was in November, when I was at Asbury Seminary, which is a Protestant seminary up in Wilmore, Kentucky, and I was in a, a lecture hall in a basement, so there's no windows, and the room was dark, and uh, the class was the vocation of ministry. And uh, here I was 
pretending to pay attention uh, and I just started writing and, and up from within me was this realization uh, and I couldn't even express it. And, you know, I've written music and I've written songs before and it's the kind of thing that generally you sit down and you craft and you write and then you edit and you cut and it takes time. Uh, and yet this was an experience where I was just writing down as fast as I could the thoughts that I was having. And it turned into this poem that really revolutionized my idea of what marriage was. And, and it was something that I believe was given to me by the Holy Spirit because uh, it wasn't something that I understood and so I was writing it down. Rather, it was it was as if it was being revealed to me and through that I was being taught. And so I'm going to read to you that poem. It's something that uh, I wrote before Kristen and I met and then uh, was uh, I gave to her as a gift after mm-hmm. she agreed that we were dating. <laughs> right. right. And it says this. I thought of you today, not in the dreams of yesterday, the myths blindly held true, the happily ever afters, but I thought of you today, not as the fulfillment of my dreams, needs, wants, and not as the band-aid to my fears, to my loneliness, to my lack, but I thought of you today. I thought of you as I've only recently begun to do, as you might be, as you could be, as it should be. I thought of what your dreams might be and what fulfills your heart's desire. I thought of how you might need me to give myself to lift you higher, of how, when you get lonely too, I might just sit and listen, of the times when it won't be convenient to bear your burdens on my shoulders, to still bear them up with joy, of all the sacrifices I may be called to make for you to pursue your loves, your goals, or protect you from your fears. I thought of you today. I thought of what true love would require of me. I pondered if I might be ready or if I might be scared. Could I love you as Christ loved his bride, to feed and clothe and purify, to hold is my supreme desire, to cherish you even when I don't understand your fears, to love after or during a fight. And even when you frustrate me, hold you as my delight. Am I ready to freely give myself without reserve to you? I'm scared to answer honestly. I fear the things I might hold back, the things on which I selfishly keep a stranglehold. I thought of you today, and in my heart resolved that I would give myself to be made ready and worthy of your love. I thought of you today, and in those thoughts of self-examination, found that I am ready to be made ready. My heart is filled with anticipation, because I thought of you today. And so in the process of writing that and reflecting on it afterward, it really changed my whole perception about marriage to the place that uh, a little bit bit more than a year later when I finally met Kristen, I had a completely different concept of what it meant to love someone. And so today we want to talk about love. And I really, you know, hearing it, even today, coming up on our ninth anniversary, there's no doubt that it was from the Holy Spirit. That is a very clear picture of how our relationship has actually worked and the way that you have supported me and empowered me and encouraged me to pursue my passions as well. And so hearing it today, it gives a completely different perspective as when you, than when you gave it to me forever ago. You know, it was sweet and it was nice. No, that's good. But seeing how it's really 
it's the embodiment of how we operate very mm-hmm. well. And, and I think that this poem, even as I reflect on it today, I haven't looked at it in a while, it comes down to what do we mean when we say, I love you, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so we have this cultural concept of love that is based solely and, and, and strongly on a romantic ideal, right? You watch all the movies and they lived happily ever after and it's Disney's fault. It's Disney's fault. I was about to say that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we have this idea that you fall into love and you can just as easily fall out of love. And, and that, uh, you know, th- there was a quote by someone, I don't know who it was by, and so I can't give attribution, but the quote goes like this. We've reduced love to romance as a society. We've reduced love to romance and we've re- reduced romance to sex. And so our society no longer has a concept for what it means to love someone. And so when we, when we read in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, we think, well, I don't like my neighbor. How can I love my neighbor? I don't, I don't know my neighbor. How can I love my neighbor? Right. And, and we have this picture of, I have to get along and like, and be a buddy old pal with everyone because the Bible says I'm supposed to love everyone. So you, you, you get this, um, this caricature of Christianity, even here in the, the buckle of the Bible belt where everyone pretends to like you, uh, whether they actually do or not. But the definition of love is uh, quite a bit more complex than, than feeling. And, and yet it's also quite a bit more achievable than feeling. Uh, you know, we've got this idea that, well, if I am angry at you, if I disapprove of something that you do, I can't love you or vice versa. We say, well, if you don't approve of, of me and what I'm doing, then you're not being loving, you're being judgmental. Uh, and this is problematic because this is, this is a cultural definition of love and not a biblical definition of love, right? The cultural definition says uh, that my emotional response to you, the way that I feel when I see you, the way that I feel when you say something to me is love or is not love, right? Uh, and, and everything that I do uh, is based off of the emotions, but the emotions are transitory. They're just a response. They're a reaction to some uh, experience of life uh, that we can't control. And so if love is based just on emotions, then it, then it makes sense, doesn't it, that uh, I fell out of love because I no longer have that emotional response. Therefore, um, therefore I, the love is gone. I it has dissipated. And I can't do anything about it, right? So I guess we just need to move on because I no longer feel love. So when we come back from this break that we're already upon, we're going to talk about the scriptural ideal, the Christian ideal of love and what it means to love your neighbor, what it means to love your spouse, what it means to love your children and every other relationship that can sometimes be a wee bit taxing. Later in the show, we're going to be giving away a rosary and a book, care of CatholicSacramentals.org. You're not going to want to miss that, so stick around. Also, we're going to continue this conversation with my beloved bride of nearly nine years, Kristen Putnam. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. Today we are talking to my favorite person. She better be. It's my <laughs> wife. I hope so. Kristen Putnam, uh, my wife of nearly nine years. Uh, and we're in the studio today talking to you about love. And we'll get to marriage here in a little bit. But as they say, first comes love and then comes marriage. And then, of course, next week we're going to talk about parenting. So then comes the baby, the baby and carriage. The baby carriage. Yeah. So we're talking today about love. And we, in the last, just before the break, we talked about the cultural concept of love that's based solely in the emotions. And the deal with emotions is that you can't control emotions. You can only feel emotions. They happen and then they don't happen. Now, you can cultivate emotions, and we might talk about that a little later, uh, but it, it's not something that you can control. You, you might make the environment right for them, and yet you still don't control what emotion you feel. It's a response. It's just like when you go to the doctor and you cross your knees and he hits your knee with a hammer lightly, and it jumps, right? It's, it's a reaction, uh, it's a reflex, and, and emotions are the same thing. They're a reflex to the world around us. And so, you know, you can't, uh, you can't keep those emotions uh, sustained. And there are different studies about how long half-life and, some, you know, the seven-year itch and all those other things that, that really point to this, this true reality that marriage uh, has to be more than emotional. Love has to be more than emotional. And the good news is that it is. So Thomas Aquinas, uh, his definition of love was to will the highest eternal good of another. Uh, and he, he would say it, to will the good of another. Of course, his concept of the word good uh, really is better translated the highest eternal good. So to will the good of another uh, by an act of your will, by a choice to look out for the good of the other above your own. And of course, we see that also in the book of, of Romans, where it says, look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then also, Kristen, you were going to talk a little bit about 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we hear that scripture a lot, um, but then we don't necessarily really think about it as what it is, which is a definition of love. It's a, a litmus test. Mm-hmm. of what love is. And very often it is read at weddings and it's a wonderful thing to have read at your wedding. Um, but we do, we kind of hear it with this lens of, oh, how sweet and really forget about the idea that it really is an incredibly good definition. So 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant nor rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, we are used to hearing it that way. But if you flip it around, it can be a very good test as to whether or not you are being loving. So you can read it this way to find out. If I am not patient, if I am not kind, if I am envious or boastful, arrogant or rude, if I insist on my own way, if I am irritable and resentful, if I rejoice in wrongdoing and do not rejoice in the truth, if I do not bear all things, believe all things and hope all things, 
If I do not endure all things, then I am not being loving. So you told me actually just this last week uh, about something that I was unaware of, um, you know, because we've talked about our first year of marriage uh, together and, and really in, in larger groups, we teach pre cana together. We've talked about those four cross country moves for you. It was just three for me, but you had to move to where I was right uh, at the wedding. And so you've talked about that before. And I knew that we had had difficult circumstances surrounding us. And I knew that with all the the transition going on in our lives, that yet we still didn't really do a a whole lot of fighting in that first year. Uh, And we just had very good uh, preparation and and the way that we communicate with each other was was good. And then then you came out with this. uh, (laughs) Last week. Last week. And this is news to me. Yes. Okay, well... In those four cross-country moves, there was obvious emotional difficulty with mm-hmm. each move and reestablishing and then moving again. And What have I done? Who is this man? <laughs> no, I, I don't know that I ever got there. Um, but, you know, I remember on our wedding day that I was very intentional mm-hmm. about living every single moment. And so when it came to our vows, even though they were words that we are very familiar with, that you hear all the time, but I wanted to say them intentionally, every single one, yeah. knowing what I meant. And that happened. So throughout this year of difficulty that we went through with the moves, after the last move at that time, I remember Because sitting, there were more. <laughs> there were more. Really just one more after that, I guess, okay. to get here. But I remember just needing an extra reminder of what it is that I had promised. And it wasn't that I was thinking about going back on that promise or breaking that promise in any way. It was just that extra little oomph of this is what I'm in for. (laughs) And the way that I did that is I went ahead and um, pulled out my art supplies and I wrote out in as pretty script as I could our vows Mm -hmm. and prettied it up. I remember putting an Irish knot at the top of it, thinking that was somehow symbolic of our, of our vow. But, and ever since that has been displayed prominently in our home next to one of our wedding pictures. I just thought it was a nice gift. (laughs) This is that extra little reminder of this is love, that love is a choice. No matter what happens around you, no matter what goes on, you choose to love Every day you choose that vow for better, for worse, right? For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, cross country moves or staying <laughs> in one place till death do us part. And, and that is the embodiment of love. It is that choice. Uh, and it's not because I feel like being around you, but you know, we say in for better, for worse when we are most definitely in the better, uh, you know, we, we have that, that moment of celebration and those moments are, are important. There's a picture of, of marriage, of married life that looks like the church year. So picture the church year with me, if you would, right? We start at Advent and w- what's Advent? It's the beginning of the church year. It's when we are waiting for the incarnation. We're waiting for Christ. And so it's prefigured by the, uh, the prophets and the Israelites throughout history longing for redemption. There's this period of expectation. There's this period of desire. 
Uh, and we have that through many cycles of our life, through engagement before marriage. We have that uh, in pregnancy. We have that uh, anytime that there's a promise of something beautiful, of something fulfilling. Waiting to hear back about a job. Waiting for a move. Uh, that that feels more like Lent, I think. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So then we have this celebration, right? We've got Christmas. Christ has come, God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, and we have that season of Christmas. And then we enter into ordinary time, right? Uh, there's no feast, no big feasts, no big memorials. It's just ordinary. And that's life. You know, you still have to take out the trash and brush your teeth and pay the bills. Uh, that You know, it's not romance all the time. Uh, and then we enter into... Uh, Lent, and we have this penitential season where we're uh, we're examining ourselves, we're seeing our own fallenness, our own sin, we're experiencing loss, uh, and that can come through the loss of a child through miscarriage or some other way. It can come through the loss of a job. It can come through four cross country <laughs> moves. Right? We have this period of of uh, sadness, of penitence, of uh, really feeling lack and loss, and then that lowest point, we hit Good Friday. Uh, and that, that lowest point is also our redemption point, right? And then we go through Easter and Pentecost and everything continues up higher and higher through that season of Easter, the 50 days. And then we have ordinary time again for the rest of the year. More than six months of the year is dedicated to being ordinary. Ordinary time. And I think that with the ordinary time in mind, one of the reasons that society has difficulty with the idea of love is that the cultural conception of love is about one's own emotional fulfillment. Ordinary time doesn't fit very well into this construct. Right. You've got the ups and the downs, and they don't elevate my personal emotional fulfillment all of the time. <laughs> now, on the other hand, if you look at then the Christian ideal of marriage and of love, it is not based on self-fulfillment but it is based on self-gift. And in this case, the ups and the downs, they don't shake the idea of love in this way. It expects that there will be ups and there will be downs, just like the church year. And so love then can celebrate the good times as they're meant to be celebrated. You can appreciate them. But then it can also weather the difficult times without being shaken because it's not about how you feel. It's not about how the other person makes you feel, but it's about how you can give yourself to that person. It is how you can choose to love them, whether you feel it or not. Yeah. You know, there's a quote by uh, Pope John Paul II before, uh, out of the book, Love and Responsibility. So he was actually Carol Wachula at that time. And he says this, love consists of a commitment which limits one's freedoms. It's a giving of the self, and to give oneself means just that, to limit one's freedom on behalf of another. Limitation of one's freedom might seem to be something negative and unpleasant, but love makes it a positive, joyful, and creative thing. Freedom exists for the sake of love. Well, we're talking today with my beloved bride of nearly nine years, Kristen Putnam. She's in here in the studio with me this week and next week. Uh, as we surround our celebration of our marriage and share it with you. When we come back from the break, we're going to be giving away a rosary and a book by St. Louis de Montfort, courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org. So stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with my bride of nearly nine years, Kristen Putnam. We've been talking about love and marriage. Uh, and so we have a gift to give away. We've got uh, courtesy of catholicsacramentals.org. We've got a beautiful rosary and a book, The Secret of the Rosary by St. Louis de Montfort. And you can, uh, we're going to ask a question to give that away. And you can answer that question by giving me a call on the comment line, 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. So get by your phone, get by Google, because uh, you might need to look it up. And so Kristen, whenever you're ready, go ahead and give us that question. Okay. The question is, according to the catechism, the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman established between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by nature ordered toward what? So the matrimonial covenant is by nature ordered toward fill in the blank. Give me a call 918-928-KPIM and give me that answer. Now, we also want you to be a part of this conversation because this is something that is going to affect really all of us, if not the marriage components, certainly the conversation about love. Uh, you know, it's it's a question that is perennial. You know, all of the uh, artists ask this question. What is love? What's love got to do with it? Um, I want to know what love is. You know, there's all, all of these. Everyone's asking the question. Everyone's asking the question. And so now you have the answer or at least a part of it. So continue this conversation with us over on social media. You can find us at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. And of course, you can also leave a message on our comment line. The phone number is the same as the, uh, the trivia line. It's 918-928-5746. So Kristen, thank you for coming into the studio today. And You're welcome. Uh, we'll see you next week after our own little celebrations. Okay. In the little bit of time we've got left together, I want to take a look at the relationship between marriage uh, here on earth between husband and wife and the marriage of Christ and his church. It's something that a lot of ink has been spilled on throughout church history and something that we first see uh, correlated in the, the writings of St. Paul. And he's, he addresses that in a couple of places, but most clearly in Ephesians 5. And this is a scripture that some people are very hesitant to approach because uh, it's, uh, it's not looked kindly on and partially because it's been horribly misinterpreted throughout history. So let's start off by acknowledging that Paul is trying to trick his audience. St. Paul wants people to get so caught up in his explanation of marriage that he can hit them with something at the end. And we see that when he quotes out of the book of Genesis, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This is a great mystery. And everyone says, Oh yeah, this is a great mystery. And then he says, and I mean it in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And, and you know, his audience is just sitting there with jaw agape. Wait a second. Did he just now say? And so here we have him using marriage to explain to them the, the relationship of Christ to his church. Now, with that in context, we're going to look at this in a new light as well. Uh, we've had so many people who have either uh, supported or 
rejected this scripture based on the support or reject of a specific family hierarchy. And so they've missed something greater that grammar is going to give us. I'm a big grammarian. I like grammar. And so we start off and we see in Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see this mutual self-gift, which we talked about in a previous segment. Wives, be subject to your husbands. People have stopped there, but there's a qualifier there. As to the Lord. Aha. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And so now we have an example. How is the husband supposed to be the head of his family, the head of his wife? In the same way that Christ is the head of his family, the head of the church. It's not in a a domineering kind of a way. It, it's not in a uh, subjugating in, in the sense of being making her a doormat. No, he gave himself for her. And in fact, Paul even says that. He says, uh, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, which means to be set apart, and without blemish. So we see here that the job of the husband is to sacrifice himself for the good of his wife. This is that self-sacrificial love. It's not self-gratifying love by any means because it's not comfortable to be crucified as Christ was crucified for his church. I tell people at Precana, I say, you know, uh, it's really easy to decide to die for your wife when, you, when you're in a dark alley and someone's holding you at gunpoint. It's, it's a more difficult thing to die for your wife when she asks for the remote control, when she asks for you to spend t- more time with the kids, when she asks for you to fix that thing that has been sitting there forever. And then it's not necessarily all that comfortable to die for your wife. And yet that's what we are called by Scripture to do. This is one of those only times that I'll ever endorse those, those bracelets that were around in the 90s, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? And yet for husband and wife, it's so important to us that we ask that question. How does Christ relate to his church? How does the church relate to Christ? And then we use that as our pattern in marriage, that marriage is not uh, one spouse dominating the other, but marriage is this Uh, this mutual self-gift that the church gives herself completely to her, her groom. And Christ sacrifices the whole of his life, his body, blood, soul, and divinity for the sake of the salvation of his church, to elevate her, to crown her with glory. And that's our jobs as husbands and wives, to sacrifice our own good for the good of our spouse. That is love to will the good of another. Next week, we're going to be talking with my beloved bride again. Kristen Putnam will be in studio and we'll talk about parenting. I hope you'll join us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.